Today's TribCast is presented by Anheuser-Busch. Anheuser-Busch has distributed over 800,000 cans of drinking water to Texas communities impacted by Harvey and will donate proceeds from Budweiser Texas bottle sales to the American Red Cross Hurricane Harvey relief efforts. Learn more at anheuserbusch.com. And the Episcopal Health Foundation. Their new report shows that three months after Hurricane Harvey, nearly half of affected Texans say they're not getting the help they need to recover. Learn more at EpiscopalHealth.org. Texas talking, oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking, ah, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking, tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are Texas guys This is Andrew White. I'm working hard on my gubernatorial, goober, gubernatorial, seriously? That's the best word we can come up with about running for governor? I have to say that I'm working on a gubernatorial campaign. Hey, this is, guys, it's not going to work. They're going to laugh at me. We got we to gotta come up with a better word. What? There is no other word? That's all I got? All right, here it goes. This is Andrew White, and I'm working hard on my gubernatorial campaign. And speaking of goobers, here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Who are you calling a goober? Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw you, here. You. <laughs> Definitely not. You probably put him up to that. Had, Evan's had, the one who procures all the introductions. First of all, I had nothing to do with it. Second of all, honestly, procurement's a crime. You're, ki- you're kind of a goober. <laughs> I'm here on the first Wednesday in December with people who aren't going to be invited back to the Tribcast. Uh, CEO Evan Smith. Hey, what's up? Executive Editor Ross Ramsey, Howdy. political reporter Patrick Sivtech, <laughs> and a very special guest, former and aspiring state representative Trey Martinez-Fisher. Hey there. Are you going to punch any of us during this thing? It all depends. It's, it's on you right now. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, just a reminder. I'm, if you're, I'm, betting, I'm betting on me. Just, just, just stay to my left. Popping the chops before <laughs> this is over. There's an extra special amount of testosterone on the TripCast Seriously. this week. It must be the lights. <laughs> must be the lights. <laughs> a reminder that we're taking your questions on Facebook and Twitter, so please send those our way. Uh, Trey, since you're here with us, let's start with you. Why don't you um, tell us why on earth you want to be back in the Texas legislature? Well, we well, thought you were getting a nice break from those I, I guys. I tell you what. Well, first, it's nice to be back in the high-rent district. I mean, this is a nice uh, Tribune, <laughs> nice, nice new facility, state-of-the-art. You haven't it's, noticed the cords yeah. hanging from the we ceiling? We have a year-end <laughs> pledge drive. Make your donations now. <laughs> We have a mortgage to pay. Evan really put him up to no, that. I, I, I tell you what, it, it's it's interesting because you know I think if you're writing my book, I, I think these are chapters that that I might have already written. You know, and so uh, why am I back in the house? I think there's two things. I think the biggest sign of, of why I'm here is because Donald Trump took office and Joe Strauss left office, which really, if you're paying attention to politics, that's a pretty sad day in the state of Texas of just how awful things are getting. And truthfully, I have a really difficult time explaining to my kids how things have gotten so bad so quickly. I mean, they remember that their father served in the legislature and made laws and passed laws and helped people, and we're not doing a lot to help people. And so I think uh, coming back up here and being a voice and being able to put my foot down and say we're going to talk like adults and we're going to be in the room, we're going to be relevant, 
uh, you know, I think I have something that I can add to the discussion and I just want to do my part. So were you done with the House? Because, I mean, you've obviously had some Senate bids since then that were not successful. Do, you know, do you feel like this is actually the chamber you want to be in or do you just really want to be back in the legislature in some capacity? Yeah, no, look, I, I think, you know, this is politics, right? And, and, and politics is not, you know, what I want to do or what I think is the best thing to do. I mean, politics is a combination of wanting to serve and having a constituency that wants to see you serve, right? So I think it's, you know, the time that I've spent away, you know, about, you know, 10 months now, uh, uh, it's really been a good time for me to connect back home and find out you know, what people really do care about. And, 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 and quite frankly, uh, if you talk to folks over the age of 65 that are voting today, I mean, politics is, has a much different meaning to them. I mean, in politics, we, we, they fixed things. We had Medicare, we had Social Security, we had the GI Bill. You talk to a millennial, I mean, you know, government gets in the way. Government makes things harder, right? Why should anyone go into public service? Because it makes, you know, everything government touches just makes things harder for people. And, and so talking to them and listening to them and knowing that, that they are paying attention and we are losing opportunities up here in Austin and people seem to, I mean, think about it. Today's education policy has nothing to do with education. It has to do with which bathroom you're going to use. Like, when did that happen? Uh, the, the, the assumption has to be, uh, Trey, that Diana Arevalo, who replaced you in the House after you left, is not doing a sufficient job of serving the people in your district. Otherwise, you would not be running to defeat her. What did she do wrong, or what did she not do right? Well, well here, here's, here's, I think, is the, the better answer. I mean, voters told me for 16 years, listen, remember a couple of things. Number one, it's our seat. It's not your seat. We will tell you if we want you there to serve. And when you get there, what we want you to do is not push the right button. We want you to make a difference and go up there and make a difference, make us proud. Uh, this is San Antonio. This is the home of Henry B. Gonzalez. This is the home of, of Matt Garcia, who is the founder of the Mexican-American Legislative Caucus, the caucus that I served honorably. I mean, there are big shoes to fill in the city of San Antonio, and there are high expectations. And so it's not a personality issue between Diana and I. I, I know Diana. I, I like Diana. It's a matter of going up here and bringing the, bit, the hardest punch to the chamber where folks have stopped listening. Did or, she do a good job? Uh, you know, I think you'd have to ask her that when you get her on the well, show. I'm asking you. <laughs> no, seriously, she's not running against herself. You're running against her. What are her constituents telling what, you? What are you hearing? I, I think this. I, I think that the time that I've spent talking to constituents, uh, uh, I'm, I'm pretty much convinced uh, that they want to see someone like me back in office, right? And so that's not a slight to her. I've been in the office for 16 years. I mean, I, I've learned a lot of things. Uh, and so I think it's taking advantage of, of experience. Uh, having that good judgment to execute strate strategic decisions, and it's also to be part of a team. I've always been part of this team. I work with the delegation. I don't work against the delegation. Uh, we don't have, you know, the inner party squabbles that we have today. I mean, we have enough enemies right now in Austin. We have enough people that want to hurt us, take things away. We can't be fighting within the delegation. Is she so, fighting within the delegation somewhere? You know, I, I think if you if you if you ask the delegation, if you read local news, apparently there seems to be a couple of rifts you know, within the within the county within the county delegation. And I'm not going to get into that because what really matters, like I said, is you know we have a we have a, a school system that's short. We have a health care. We have 400,000 children that are about to lose their health care, and nobody's doing a darn thing about it. But I, I buy that, but. You're not running for an open seat. You're running against somebody. You're trying to defeat an incumbent. And so if you're trying to defeat an incumbent, theoretically, you're going to have to at some point not deflect but make the case against sure. her in order to win this seat because otherwise you're pretending that an incumbent who you won't criticize 
deserves not to be rehired. That's how this works. You know that better than anybody. Right. I mean, look, that, that's a very easy paradigm, right? But this is, again, San Antonio. This is the home of Speaker Joe Strauss for the last 10 years. This is the environment where we've had this artificial safety net because we had someone like Joe Strauss to look out for San Antonio. We don't have that now, right? We, we are now going into an uncertain time where we're not going to have a speaker that gave us the home court advantage. Uh, and what today's newspaper, there was a, a column by Gilbert Garcia in today's Express News that said, hey, listen, this is not going to be a race about whether one person voted for one thing and, and, and Trey voted for the other thing. This is going to be who can do the most, who can pull the inside levers of power, who can use rules and procedures to stop bad ideas from happening, and then goes on and on ad nauseum you know, of the number of things that I've done over the course of my career. Again, I, I think that when you, when you look at the small victories that Democrats can have in the House, it's really going to come to using rules and procedures to stop bad ideas from happening, and better yet, using those same rules and procedures to force the majority to work on things that we should. Do you ask her to step aside? No, absolutely not. Speaking of running against incumbents, uh, let's have a conversation about all of the sort of fleet of people we have in the Democratic Party who've now announced that they're running for governor. In fact, we have people on Facebook and Twitter asking, Trey, why you aren't running for governor instead. Was one of them Greg Abbott? <laughs> Actually, there is someone named Greg asking, who is Trey, Trey going to vote for Old in the Texas governor's race? <laughs> I don't think that's Abbott. Uh, and you can answer that question in just a second. Patrick, why don't you tell us, uh, we have an incredibly crowded field now, right? Like probably the biggest Democratic yeah. field ever? Um, before this morning, there were six little, no, yeah. relatively little-known Democrats who had filed for governor. Uh, they included some folks who've been campaigning for a number of months, like uh, Jeffrey Payne, Tom Wakely, Payne's businessman from Dallas. Wakely's a former congressional candidate from San Antonio. Who? Um, exactly. A relatively <laughs> obscure group. Uh, this morning, the most uh, serious and, and relatively high-profile candidate stepped forward, Dallas County Sheriff uh, Lupe Valdez, and so she became the seventh Democrat to file for governor, and she's likely not going to be the last. Andrew White, the son of uh, the late Governor Mark White, our Tripcast intro, our, Goober, exactly. the Goober, yeah. who puts the Goober. <laughs> He's in been exploring a run for months, and he has scheduled a, an announcement uh, Monday, to announce right? his candidacy tomorrow morning, mm -hmm. uh, Thursday morning in Houston. And so, an eight-way primary, if they all if they all end up making it to election day. Um, you know, would be, uh, we checked the numbers, that would be the most crowded Democratic primary for governor since at least the 80s. So, Evan, give us the quick, uh, you, I've seen you retweeting yourself several times in the last 24 hours, so give us the quick bio on Lupe Valdez. In that, in that case, in that, in that case wow. retweet is an endorsement. <laughs> right. um, she's the, uh, she's a uh, Hispanic lesbian sheriff of Dallas County. She's not going to run, presumably, from an identity politics standpoint, but inevitably she will be characterized by people who talk about this race as the first or the only. Right. And so she presents an interesting opportunity for the Democrats to align different groups that have traditionally voted within the, the party. I mean, I think that there's an interesting opportunity here for her, but at the same time, um, her experience as Dallas County Sheriff um, is not traditional political experience. You know, she's been elected to office, but she's not a traditional politician. She's taking on the the role of candidate, assuming that those skills and those experiences are transferable. Well, but she's the only person on the ballot for the Democrats so far who has been elected who is, to a significant who is a office. Run for, who is run for office. If nothing else happens, if it's just a box full of names, then um, Dallas County, if, you know, if she's as popular as she was in her three elections, 
could put her over the top just because they know who she is. Nobody's heard of Andrew White, who's not related to him. Nobody's heard of Tom Wakeley, you know, who hasn't read his name. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah. This is not this is not a very well known field generally. No, I, I mean, mean the, the, Ross the, David on Facebook wants to know: Does Valdez have any name recognition outside of the Metroplex? No, but nobody else has any name recognition. At so all. That's, Period. That's, yeah, that's right. that's plus. It's not it's not enough to really contest November, but we're not in a November yeah, race right right now. We're in a very short race for the Democratic nomination that's over in yeah. about, you know, three months. Yeah, she's had a few brief turns in the statewide and, and national spotlights. I mean, she's spoken at least once at the state Democratic Party convention. She gave a primetime speech, a brief speech at the uh, Democratic National Convention in 2016. Um, you know, and, you know, I think folks here in Austin, you know, at least politically remember when she butted heads with, with Abbott over her uh, immigration enforcement policy in 2015, which in some ways was kind of the precursor to the, the debate here in Travis County that was behind the you know, so-called sanctuary cities ban that was signed into law earlier this right. year. So, Trey, I mean, you look at this field, what do you think? Well, you know, I, I think that the more people that participate in Democratic elections, I mean, voters win, right? Democrats win. They have choices. Now, that being said, you know, we still don't know who, you know, who else may file. But looking at what, the, what, what do you know? <laughs> I you know, can you know, tell you. You know, CivTech has pointed out to me repeatedly <laughs> that uh, Joaquin Castro has still not filed for his congressional seat. Okay. Well, you know, that, that's, that's... You know anything well, we about that? We were thinking he's maybe waiting to, fi to get know, shipped. I'm, I'm going to go Sergeant you Schultz on that. You want to face, no. <laughs> FaceTime him right now? <laughs> let's get him. Let, let, let's while we're sitting him. here? Let's do that. I mean, he ought to, you know, he ought to have some free time on his hands. Do you, know? you think somebody else should get in this race? Are you satisfied with this field? Well, look, let, let's let's we're talking about Lupa today. I mean, look, she's a she's an executive, right? She is, runs a department. She's a law enforcement official. She, you know, carries a handgun, which is a big deal in the state of Texas, right? Uh, and at the same time, I mean, you know, she can go pound for pound and talk about policy, what works and what doesn't. I mean, you look at this sanctuary cities policy. I mean, this is Greg Abbott's reelection theme. You know, most of that stuff isn't working because it's tied up in court. I bet you Lupe Valdez will have something to say about what's wrong with it. Does she have a point of view about some subjects that are not criminal justice, you think? Does she come to the table with the kind of knowledge of the issues that positions her to be a good candidate for governor on education, on transportation, on health care? I think this. I think she she has the capacity to be a chief executive. I mean, look, let's, let's with due respect to Governor Abbott. I mean, he was a Supreme Court justice before he was an attorney general, and then he became governor. I mean, so, I, you know, ran a budget, knew something about law, yeah. you know, wrote opinions. And so, look, you know, he's the governor now, and, and, you know, he's some people say he's doing a good job, some people say he's not, and that's what elections are about. But look, let's talk about the person who's in the arena, willing to put willing to put her name, you know, in, in the ring and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a guy who has $41 million in the bank. I mean, it takes a certain set of stones. Uh, to look, you know, look at that and say, you know what, I'm not going to be deterred by that. I'm going to get into this race. I'm going to do my best. Do you and think she wanted this, or do you think somebody put her up to it, basically saying we've got nobody else with any name ID? I mean, look, I, I know a few friends that wake up every morning and look in the mirror and see a governor, you know, on the other side, right? And so, uh, you know, we'd I, like you to name names. Yeah, well, I, I might for the right price. I might, you know, another glass of tea. And you'll I, have me. I, get little, tea. I get a little loopy on my second yeah. cup, right. you know. So, uh, you know, I mean, I don't think anybody put her up to it. I, I think that she she actually has a, a good skill set and she mm -hmm. has a track record and she has guts. So, you for her in this race? Right. Who would you vote for if the primary were today? If the primary were today, I'd probably have to look at the ballot and see who all the names are, right? Number one, right? Uh, but I there don't. I, them. Yeah. I know Tom Wakeley. He's from San Antonio. I know him. He works hard. He's a progressive. And he's a true believer. I've met Lupe he's several kind times. Of a Bernie, he's like a Bernie guy. He's a Bernie guy. Yeah. You know, and, and, and of course, I know Sheriff Valdez. And 
I've never met, you know, Goober White or what's his uh, White Andrew, Andrew White. Andrew White. Andrew, I mean, I've Andrew never met G. him. White. <laughs> but if he ever wants to come down to, you know, San Antonio, I'm happy to have a taco with him and and and, uh, and and get to know him. So I don't know who I'd vote for today, and and I want to hear people fight it out. I want to have people duke it out. At a minimum, I want people who are willing to go pound for pound to tell Texans what is wrong with this state and what needs to happen to get it back on track. Do you expect any big names to enter that race between now and the close of filing on Monday? I don't. I, I just I think that anybody with a big name and, and, uh, and, a, and a big draw probably would have, you know, done this, you know, already. Yeah. already. Yeah. Patrick, Stephen on social media wants to know, everyone keeps saying Jeffrey Payne isn't a serious candidate, but no one ever says why. What's wrong with him? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think he gets that billing because he, you know, hasn't, doesn't have much political background hasn't held elected office before um, but you know he's certainly someone who has been running you know a relatively organized campaign for all the press and attention he gets for being obscure you know I spoke with him on Monday ahead of the the Lupe you know ahead of the news today about Lupe Valdez and you know Payne said he's already been to you know a couple dozen counties multiple locations within each right. county planning to go to a hundred forty hundred some counties by primary election day um, he's out there and he's he's you know He's talking to folks, and as is Wakely, who I also I also spoke with. So you know, I think sometimes they get the billing of you know being obscure, um, not unserious candidates. Um, but at least of that that kind of uh, group of six little known Democrats who had already filed before today, it seems like Wakely and Payne. You can kind of separate them out as people who've actually been out there and are actually traveling. Um, I don't know much about the campaign activities of the. So I mean, think think about this. I mean, I'm I'm willing to, to to put the first donation in the you know GoFundMe account. I mean, we have eight gubernatorial candidates on the Democratic side. They all have one thing in common: they do not like the status quo. They all think they can do a better job than Greg Abbott. Win or lose after this primary, if the eight of them stay in this race and they divide the state up about 30 counties apiece, they can do some damage for voter turnout. We can get excited about that, right? So when you look at you know what what positive can come out of eight people in a gubernatorial race, let them stay in through November. Does the money exist to fund adequately a Democratic candidacy for governor in the state where all signs point to the Democrats not winning at the statewide level. Or should that money, would that money be better spent in some of these closer congressional I mean, you, you, races? You've got, you've got three congressional races in which Hillary Clinton won the district alongside the Republican incumbent. You've got another couple of congressional districts where even though the Republicans won that district at the presidential level, it was close. And you've got actual good candidate recruitment in that race by Democrats for the first time in a while, including a San Antonio congressional race that was Lamar Smith's seat for a long time. Mm -hmm. Can you make the argument, honestly, that the money would be better spent funding the campaign of somebody who is almost certainly not going to win at the governor level as opposed to putting those resources into some of these potentially winnable races? I, you know, I, I think it's all about GOTV. You know, any warm body that's willing to go out and knock on doors and give speeches and go to town squares and go to small and medium-sized counties where the media market is just, you know, too expensive to reach— uh, you know, I think we ought to be thinking strategically about that. We have eight people right now that are willing to put their name on a ballot, run against a man with $40 million in the bank. It takes guts. Let's not lose them after the April runoff. You know, let's keep them in, in, engaged and let people decide at $5 or $500, you know, per donation, whether they want to see this fire continue to grow. Uh, and, you know, all we can do is chip away at Abbott's, you know, 
lead and, and maybe we can make it close and competitive. And, and none of this should be taken as a sign that the Democratic Party in Texas is in trouble that you all couldn't recruit higher profile, bigger name candidates. You look, I mean, I'll defend the party. The Democratic Party did not lose power overnight, and we are certainly not going to get it back overnight. We're not going to get it back being an export state when it comes to dollars and ideas. It, you know, you think about it, if you are a very talented political consultant, chances are you don't live in Texas. You're in places where you can win when you're competitive in Virginia and in Ohio and in Florida and other states. I mean, the truth of the matter is there are three and a half million Hispanics in Texas that could vote and don't vote. And all we need is a third of them to get pissed off enough to go out and turn out. And the minute somebody comes with a good idea to say, hey, I have a million vote plan for one third of those three and a half million Hispanics, game over Texas, game over Electoral College. It becomes a different ball game, see, and I'm willing to play that game. you see any signs the Republicans, you know, when the Democrats lost the majority in Texas, they were shedding voters that the Republicans were picking up. Conservative Democrats were identifying they became the Reagan Democrats. Sure. Do you see any sign at all that the Republicans are shedding voters in Texas? I don't know what's pro-business about a bathroom bill. I, I don't. I don't know what's pro-business about telling local governments you can't grow your economies unless we tell you in Austin at what limits you're going to spend. I don't know what's conservative uh, about, you know, Austin uh, preaching to local businesses uh, that we're not going to give you the relief you need. I mean, at some point, I think the Republican business, businessmen and women looking in the mirror saying, what happened to my party? Are you seeing that yet? You know, I, you hear it. I think if you look at the bathroom bill and you look at the coalitions that were built and, and, the, and the big names and the big brands that got behind this to say, we're not going to promote hate in the state of Texas. Uh, I think that's a sign. And then when you look at sanctuary cities, and you look at law enforcement, you look at traditional people that break conservative saying these are bad policies, open gun policies are bad public safety policies. I think we're beginning to see that there's an opportunity. All right, well, just a quick reminder, if you're joining us on Facebook or Twitter, you can send questions our way. Uh, also, if you're listening to this Tribcast on iTunes, please take a second to review us and subscribe. A recent review from Brie Wacko. Always some great names. Does she know Andrew? I'm not sure we want the wackos. You, you, you uh, completely made this up, didn't you? I always listen, even if the legislature is not in session. I get a bigger view of the whole state, of, of all state politics than I do from my local paper. Uh, all right, well, let's get a um, bigger view of Congressman Blake Farenthal. You're just an equal yeah. opportunity offender today, aren't you? Uh, indeed. Uh, who said this week that he'd repay $84,000 in taxpayer dollars he used to settle a sexual harassment claim. Um, how on God's green earth does anybody get to spend taxpayer dollars on sexual harassment claims? It's a fund that's built for this, and he's the only member of Congress who used it, but it's been used for... Uh, other government officials for some time. It was like uh, something like, I can't remember Abby's story, it was something like $21 million has been paid out of this fund. Who built the a 80, fund for this? Like, how backward is that? And it's for a variety but, of, per, all that it's money is not gone for sexual it's not harassment. It's not all for sexual harassment. You know, it could be like all kinds of age like discrimination. That. And he went to this <clears throat> fund for that. You know, these were, um, this was a deal with a communications director, and there were a bunch of stories about it at the mm -hmm. time, 2014, 2015. We wrote about and, it a bunch, yeah. Right, and they settled the claim, but it wasn't known until, you know, this fund came out that he had used this money. He now says, I didn't do anything wrong, but I'm going to pay the $84,000, which just rings funny. Which sounds like John Conyers saying, I didn't do anything wrong, but I made this settlement happen to make <clears throat> the issue go away. Yeah, I, you know... Personally, I wouldn't spend $84,000 on something I didn't do. That you didn't do. Right. I mean, also, uh, he was okay with using taxpayer dollars for it the first time around, but now that it's public, he's not okay with spending the taxpayer dollars for it? You know, the drumbeat about resignations in Congress, for anybody associated with these issues, 
is loud and it's unending. Right. You know, today as we sit here, now Democrats are coming out one after another, after another. After Al Franken. After Al Franken, including right. most recently the chair of the Democratic Party, Tom Perez, has now called for Franken to, mm -hmm. to resign. It's interesting that there have not, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I know, been calls for Farenthold to resign yet. But that may happen. Right. Right. It could very well happen. It, the, the climate that we're in right now, these kinds of situations have up to this point almost entirely led to um, talks talk uh, about resignation. And, you know, there's even if he doesn't end up resigning, he's handed an opportunity oh, sure. to potential opponents in the next cycle. There's talk that Beck Brune, who is the chair of the Texas Water Development Board. Right. Um, is looking very hard, right, Patrick? At a, right, yeah, that's right. At a primary challenge. Um, Ronnie McDonald, who is the former Bastrop County... Bastrop County chairman, uh, county judge. County judge. He was the first, I think he was the first black yellow leader at Texas A&M. A&M has already right. filed as a Democrat in that congressional race. I mean, there's an opportunity potentially to, to pick off Farenthold, even if Farenthold doesn't uh, get uh, pressured yeah. to resign. You can't forget, too, that Farenthold's also, before this, has had some embarrassing moments that hasn't exactly right. endeared him to... The Playboy Bunny and the picture of him in the pajamas Right, for but starters. even more recently, and I don't recall the specifics, he was defending Trump over some comment and made some inflammatory comment. Well, about he was asked himself. about if a candidate had raped somebody, right. Oh, right. would you necessarily not vote for him? And he hedged on his answer. Right. My, yeah. my you know, the problem for people in Congress is that, you know, for the most part, nobody knows who they are. And you go back to your district every two years and you ask this small group of people who actually pay attention to this to vote for you. And if you have an error of this kind, or frankly, a spectacular success of some kind, you go back known to people who didn't know you before. And Farenthold's problem is that he's now known for this. Among a lot of the people who potentially are going to be voting in that race, he's embarrassed some of the people who voted for him before. He's inspired some people who didn't, and he's given these these opponents some room. Bobby reminds me, he also suggested he wanted to dual Republican women senators. All oh, right, for, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. for being against the Obamacare <laughs> repeal. That's right. Always a good move. Uh, so, Trey, I mean, obviously, you're someone who's been in and around the legislature for a long time. I mean, tell me what your reaction was to a lot of the stories that started coming out from women in the Texas legislature, or staffers, or lobbyists. I mean, sure. was this sort of like an open secret? Were you surprised? Y you know, um, People always tell you that if you know if there were lockers at the Capitol, it'd be just like high school. You know, there's just all sorts of shenanigans. You know, there's bells that tell us where to go. There's desks that we sit at. You, you get in trouble with the speaker. You go to the principal's office. I mean, you know, it's just, uh, you know, and there's a there's a culture here. I mean, I I don't claim to know it. I, you know, you hear people talk about it. There are generational people working. You never up here. saw anything. You know, I, I will say this. I've spent 16 years up here in Austin, and and sort of. You know, I think my out has always been folks know I like to run in the morning. And so when you go to bed at a decent hour, you know, you kind of avoid all of those things that happen when the sun goes down. I mean, sure, there are people up here, you know, drinking and carrying on, having a good time, you know, but everybody is supposed to, you know, sort of have their limits and, and be responsible and, and treat people a certain way. I mean, but I mean, when you're looking at videos from the Phoenix Foundation or you follow the, you know, the, the rumor and innuendo that that's bound to occur in, in, inside that pink building. I mean, you know, uh, I, you have to give uh, people a lot of credit, you know, for being able to speak out. I mean, this is a very small environment. 
And it takes a lot of guts, you know, to say something bad happened. And we're not talking, I mean, any harassment, not just sexual harassment, but workplace harassment or whether it's hostile work environment or whether it's, you know, somebody who, you know, just, you know, screams and yells at the top of their lungs. I mean, you know, we try working for Evan. Yeah. Well, you know, I was <laughs> going to say, I mean, I'm so nice. <laughs> so, so, so you can't say in all the years that you were in the legislature, you cannot you say? say that you're aware of any member harassing a staff member you you never saw or were aware of anything what i can say is i have never placed myself in a situation where i've been in a position to observe you know what what people talk about all the time or the the jokes and the whispers and the and the tweets and the in the in the memes and all that stuff i mean you know i'm not going to say that this is a you know sacrosanct community up here i mean this is austin this is the legislature i mean you know they didn't have ethics rules once upon a time and people handed out checks on the floor of the house right before votes were cast i mean you know but what i what i can say though is that you know there are people who are willing to speak out and for somebody who usually is the person speaking out oftentimes alone, I know that that takes a lot of courage. And so I don't want to cheapen or I don't want to, you know, uh, minimize, you know, somebody saying, hey, I've been in a bad situation and, and, and I'm willing to tell my story. I think we need to, you know, provide, you know, some sort of support and, and, a, and a listening mechanism. And then moreover, we ought to find a way to act on it. You know, so it doesn't happen again. So talk a little bit about the request that you've made to the Texas Democratic Party about sexual harassment training. I, mean, I, I think that, that when, you know, the TRIB and, and you know, was one of the leading uh, groups and to, to break a story about how outdated and non-existent these policies were. I mean, it's really sort of a shot in the arm. And, you know, and, and what I remember from my house training days is is house members have a lot of discretion to implement policies within their own offices. They get to set their own rules and schedules and so forth. Uh, and when I learned, you know, that the harassment policies were inadequate, I, I was asking from the political side, well, what are we doing on the political side? I mean, if you were to believe a lot of the things that are, are being talked about in, in, you know, Daily Beast and so forth, I mean, there seems to be the campaign culture is also not immune from this kind of behavior. Well, there was drama in Travis County. I mean, there's been a, there have been a lot of headlines around this. And so here's what I said. I, I wrote a letter to the party chair and I said, you know, Chairman, do we have a policy, a harassment policy? Uh, and we should. And if we have one, candidates ought to be able, should, you know, take a class or swear in a firm as a condition of being on the ballot. And, and then moreover, you should produce a policy so that all candidates can benefit and use them in their campaigns. And so then I turned around and used my experience, my, my years of experience. I mean, we talked a lot about me talking to voters about what's important. Uh, you know, I ran across two women that are HR executives, they're attorneys, they're respected leaders in San Antonio who said, you know, Trey, We'll do a training. We will do a harassment training and we'll focus. We'll talk about sexual harassment, but we're going to talk about workplace harassment because it's a much bigger animal than just sexual harassment. And I said, well, I'll, I'll offer it to everybody in Bear County who wants to come, uh, candidates, uh, office holders. And then I talked to the party in my letter saying, hey, we may do this in San Antonio. We're working on a date. We're going to work on logistics. And if you want to webcast it, if you want to, you know, have some part ownership of this so that you could broadcast it to smaller jurisdictions, mm -hmm. because oftentimes these trainings come down to price and time and folks don't have, you know, the time to take away from work to do this or they don't have the money to pay for professionals to come in and give advice. Well, if we can get some of the best and brightest minds in San Antonio to give the do's and don'ts on harassment and we can put that on a webcast and 
Heck, we could put it on the TripCast. You know, we can we can run it next sexual to sexual harassment training on the TripCast. We can do it next to the most viewed next to the Goober rollout. We'll we'll, we'll run it right next right. to the Goober rollout. I mean, you know, we can provide a, a, a platform where folks can get this information because in the, the day, it's about getting the information and being able to process that information. So so that's what I'm working on. We're going to do it in January, hopefully in San Antonio, and hopefully the party can partner with us and and, and reproduce this content to other places in the in the other in the other rest of the state. I was going to ask if you heard back from the state party. I know it's kind of early. You know what? I, I I will. I got an immediate response yeah. uh, from from party leaders, uh, staff leaders, wanting to talk about it. So okay. we're actually we've been we've exchanged a couple of emails and, and we're hoping to get on a call by the end of the week to sort of sketch things out. But one of the things that was mentioned was, hey, this is a great idea. We're a big state, 254 counties, 254 county chairs. Uh, is there a way that we can package this content? Can we partner? to get what you're doing in San Antonio and make it available. And I said, well, let's discuss it. Mm -hmm. We've just got about one minute left, so let's just run around quickly. Everybody uh, say the Cliff Notes version of the biggest story that you've been paying attention to this week. Uh, Frank, Ross, go. Franken and the tax bill in Washington. Trey, you're up. 400,000 children about to lose their health care, and there's not a single riot taking place in this state. What was the question? Patrick, <laughs> if you don't, get off, you don't get off your damn phone on the trip you know, we are going to have, 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 have some serious just workplace say, just harassment say bread chip, here. Say bread chip. Bread chip. Yeah. Good answer. Evan, now that he stole yours, what are you going to say? The, the world is going to hell, and the news <laughs> doesn't stop. And by 8 o'clock this morning, it was like being waterboarded with, with, uh, with news <laughs> stories. God. You know, that, that's a good one. You I was called, say, Evan called me negative this morning, and uh, I would just like to say. Of all the, ba all the <laughs> talk and all the banter about not having a serious candidate run for governor, you guys sure stopped what you were doing in the morning to go cover Lupe Valdez. I mean, you know, this is this is this is good. This is what the new cycle is about. You know, right? you get up to run, we get up to work. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. Well, you I know, work when the, I run. That's, that's the difference, Chief. <laughs> yeah, yours. Yeah. yeah. Harvey Weinstein's penal injections. Did you read that story today? Did you in the see the big, that, that big picture moly. of Harvey Weinstein on the front page yes. of the New York Times? I read was like, the whole Ugh. story. No, the story is amazing. His assistants had to it's bring around, carry around needles so he could give himself injections before these when is women the were trapped in his room. Penal injections, uh, Texas legislature story. Where is that? Who's doing that story? <laughs> Currently right? working on it. Is that right? Yes. Wow. All right, that's all the time we have. If you like listening Woo. to the TribCast every week, please do us a favor and leave us a review on iTunes. Those ratings help us reach more listeners like you. And if you value the Tribune's nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom, please consider making a donation at support.texastribune.org. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for our music. On behalf of Evan, Ross, Patrick, Trey, and our producers, Todd and Bobby, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. You better be with that tea and that honey. You better be planning to sing for us. Me, me, me.